Welcome to the Research Works podcast, brought to you in association with Curtin University and the Healthy Strides Foundation. Your hosts are Dr. Dana Poole and Dr. Ashley Thornton, and together we will interview world-leading researchers in the area of child health to support your practice in being more evidence-based. The team at the Research Works podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land and waters on which we live and work. We pay our respects to all First Nations peoples, elders past and present, and would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record this podcast each week, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation. We recognise their continued connection to this beautiful budja we call home. Everyone, I am so glad, as per usual, that you've decided to join us for another episode of the Research Works podcast. Yes, welcome back. We have another great episode lined up for you today. We have actually one of the keynote speakers from the most recent EACD conference mm-hmm. in 2023 on the show. Yep. His keynote was, by all accounts, extraordinary. He's he a great storyteller, <laughs> yep. a great researcher and clinician. Please welcome Dr. Laurent Survey. Welcome, Laurent. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> I love that I've now got to Ash to say people's names because I did such a <laughs> terrible job and she gets the accent much better than I do. Um, mm-hmm. So I was at EACD and I absolutely loved your keynote. I think I've told you that like a million times now. <laughs> I saw you wandering the halls of the poster area and I kept seeing you. And I thought, I've just got to go down and find him and get him and just get him booked in. And we literally yeah. stood there with phones going, I'm just, I'm, we just got to book this in. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so, um, yes, I think this is going to be a great, um, great topic to talk about. And we're going to intro all of that in a little bit soon. I would yeah. actually say it's probably one of the most exciting areas of medicine, science, advancement, and um, watching it from the outside, actually seeing the impact it has, even on the patients I've been working mm. with, has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And a relatively new topic for the podcast as well, yes. which is also, yeah, I'm really excited to get stuck in. And thank you for joining us uh, so early in the morning where you are, Laurent. We really appreciate it. <laughs> so the article, <laughs> the article we want to base our conversation on today was recently published in Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's titled Financial Cost and Quality of Life of Patients with Spinal Muscular Atrophy Identified by Symptoms or Newborn Screening. Before we get into all of that, though, let's tell our listeners a little bit more about you, Laurent. So Laurent Savay is a professor of paediatric neuromuscular diseases at the MDUK Oxford Neuromuscular Centre and invited professor of child neurology at Liege University. Recently, Professor Laurent served as head of the Institute of Myology's iMotion, which stands for Institute of Muscle-Oriented Translational Innovation, and the head of Neuromuscular Centre in Liege, Belgium. Professor Laurent has been involved in some of world-leading clinical trials, testing treatments for Duchenne muscular dystrophy and spinal muscular atrophy. He's a leader of the newborn screening program for SMA in southern Belgium. It's a pretty incredible body <laughs> of really work. Amazing. It is pretty amazing indeed. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you, Dana, for all those tricky words in the intro. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Sorry, but you do, do you do it better than <laughs> I do. You're definitely better at it. Laurent can give me feedback on my accent later on. <laughs> oh, I do know it's Liège, though. It's Liège, isn't it? Yeah, Liège li- 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 is good. I mean, you do it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got a good Liège. Liège or, uh, uh, see, this is where I can show off just a little bit, or Luke. Luke, is that how I say it? That's like the Flemish version. How do you say it? Yeah, the, the Flemish version is Luke, and, and the, the German version is Lutig, <laughs> uh, because um, Liège is is, is uh, close to three borders: the borders of of the uh, between Belgium and and, and Holland, uh-huh. and on the east side between G- uh, Belgium and Germany. Wow. So we have three names for the same <laughs> yeah. city. You have to cover all your bases. <laughs> <laughs> you do yeah, indeed. Exactly. You do. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I only know that because we're trying to catch a train out one day. We flew in through bu- to Brussels, but it was a no car day, so we couldn't get oh. a car out. So someone, our family said, catch the train to Liège. We're like, okay, we got, get onto the train. And there's yeah. no sign of Liège anywhere, but there's a place <laughs> called Luke. Uh, I can't say it properly. And we're like, oh, I think we're going to head to the wrong place. But it's because there's three different names in the city. And that's why I got so lost. That's the only reason why I know about Liège. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
So, Laurent, we like to start with a little icebreaker. I feel like we had a little Belgium icebreaker (laughs) just there, but we will ask you uh, an additional icebreaker. You can't, unfortunately, get out of that one. Um, So, our Our icebreaker question today is, what do you admire most in a work colleague? So we can give you a little bit of well, time to in think general, about Oh, he's got it. He's got, he's got it. it. You know, no, it's, okay. Okay. I, I, I still have a little bit of time to think. That's fine. <laughs> I let it. him off the hook. Okay. No. No, no, that's fine. So um, what I admire most is, is certainly the colleagues who are able to bring um, uh, gene therapy or innovative therapy to, to a child mm. um, as academic because um, we, we all know you know the difficulties of of um, you know bringing bringing a new drug from mice um, to humans, and when you have no pharma companies behind you and and not all the system to do it, and you have to do it by yourself. Yeah, I think it's incredibly brave. Wow. Most of some people have no idea of what it means, but but being able to do that and and being able to work both sides mm. on the bench and, and the bed is becoming incredibly rare. Um, and and yeah. Uh, I have a deep admiration for colleagues who are able to do mm. that. Gosh, that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. They're two very, like, they're very distinct skills. Mm. It takes a lot of bravery, mm. absolutely, to step out and and translate that. You're so right. But mm. the difference it's made is significant. Yeah. So significant. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Dana? That's a hard one to follow. It is. Uh, maybe it goes in the same vein as that, is that what probably drives those people to do that and, and be brave is passion. Mm. I feel like, you know, a leader is someone who's really passionate. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not a misguided passion, but it's, mm. you know, it's passionate about an area. You're willing to step out and do more because you believe in the cause. And when you see people who are passionate about something, you can't help but to get behind it. And yeah. and uh, you, can, you can definitely wield it for good. Yeah. So I think you can bring people with you. Yeah. So I love that. Yeah, I love that part of it. Yeah. Just passion. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I admire all of those things that you've both covered. And mm-hmm. I think if someone can do all of those things and maintain a really good sense of humor. I like that. <laughs> I think I admire that because, you know, the, a lot of the work we do is quite challenging and, True. you know, involves a lot of long hours and, mm-hmm. you know, lots of deadlines and all those things. And if you can, yeah. you know, pr- you're prepared to work hard, but you can do that while you maintain a sense of humor and curiosity about mm. the world, then, yeah, I really admire that. It's a good skill to have, actually. Mm. It's true. You need someone like that in the team. Yeah. <laughs> and those, those late nights. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> good question. One that got mm. us thinking yeah. of this one. I like it. All right. Well, let me give you a bit of a rundown about what we'll be talking about today. We can't wait to ask lots and lots of questions. There's yeah. some big words coming up too, <laughs> and um, I'm pretty sure I'll put them in your column again. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> so spinal muscular atrophy is the most common genetic cause of infant mortality with an incidence of approximately one in 10,000 live births. With the introduction of three drugs approved for use in SMA, we have started to observe improvements in functional capacity and quality of life. However, these drugs are very expensive. This study analyzed disease-related costs and health-related quality of life in three broad categories of patients with spinal muscular atrophy. So untreated symptomatic patients, treated symptomatic patients who were diagnosed because of the onset of symptoms, and then treated and patients not identified by symptoms who are identified from early testing. So the study found that patients not identified by symptoms had better motor development, better quality of life, and much lower disease costs than treated symptomatic patients. Mm, So Mm, interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Before we get into, I suppose, the really kind of key messages in that paper, Laurent, this is the first episode we've had so far on the podcast about spinal muscular atrophy or SMA. Um, and it's an area that you're a world leader in. So we're very fortunate to have you to mm. to guide us through this today. Before we get into the article itself, I thought it'd be great if we could take a bit of a step back and talk uh, with our listeners about what SMA is and what the current treatments for SMA are. So could you start with a, a broad mm. overview of what SMA is? Well, yes, for sure, um, and we can we could start with a patient, right? Yeah. With, with the story of a patient. Um, you have a baby. This baby is, of course, the most beautiful of the world. Um, he or she is smiling, and 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 he's entirely normal at birth. And then 
during the, the first months of life, this baby starts being a little bit floppy and then um, you go to your pediatrician and the pediatrician says, well, you know, maybe he's a little bit, you know, tired or lazy or whatsoever. Um, but then it ends up that, that, that your baby starts um, losing some um, head support and, and not being able to progress from a mental perspective and start having difficulties in breathing. And unfortunately, um, the diagnostic of, of spinal muscular atrophy uh, could eventually come. Mm. So um, when this diagnostic come before the onset of treatments, it, it's a, a death sentence. Um, yeah. A death sentence that, that is um, for the f- in, in median time about five months. Wow. So it's wow. a terrible condition. Yeah. So spinal muscular atrophy is related to the absence of a protein that is called SML, mm-hmm. spinal motor neuron um, protein, uh, spinal uh, motor neuron survival protein. And, and, and this protein actually is coded by a gene that is called um, SMN1. Um, and it's, this protein is, is very important for several um, cellular processes, including splicing, but also um, axonal generation. And what happens is that if, if you miss it, the motor neurons are especially um, sensitive to the absence of this protein and the motor neurons, which are these cells that give the order to muscle cell, will, will eventually die. Well, okay. um, if they die, the muscle cell, they don't know what to do yeah. and they get atrophy. And, um, and then the child will develop proximal hypotonia and weakness mm. and then difficulties in, in, in breathing and eventually will will have difficulties in swallowing and, and, and die. Mm. This isn't the most severe and most common form, which we call SMA type 1. Mm-hmm. And then there is another form that is called SMA type 2 and type 3, mm-hmm. in which um, that will start later and, and, and kids will be able to uh, to sit in SMA type 2 and to, to walk in SMA type 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in all cases, it's going to be a, a neurodegenerative condition mm-hmm. and the children will lose the ability that they have acquired. Wow, okay. um, and so when someone says, well, you know, SMA type 3 is a less severe condition, mm-hmm. well, yes, it's a less severe. If you compare with SMA type 1, that kills the baby in five months. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I don't call a, a mild condition a condition that leads you to, to lose ablation mm-hmm. um, uh, when you are 12 years old, yeah, right? right. This, are, this is never, never a mild condition. No. Um, and the... Um, the interesting point is that actually, um, whatever, if we talk about semi-type 1, type 2, type 3, this is related to the same mutation in the same gene, which is a deletion of exon 7 of SMN1. Mm-hmm. 96% of cases, 96 in 4%, it can be a point mutation in the other alley. But in 96% of cases, it's a deletion of a mosaicus deletion of, of, of exon 7. Right. Um, so, which makes it a perfect candidate for newborn screening. Yeah. Um, and so you could say, okay, that's fine, but, but how is it possible that, that the patient may have such a severe form or a milder form mm. um, with the same mutation? It's because we have another gene that is called SMN2, uh-huh. which is nearly similar to SMN1, but produces only um, a little bit of, of protein because the exon 7 is, is nearly systematically spliced mm. during the uh, splicing process of, of SMN2 which opens, of course, um, um, uh, a way for potential treatment um, by modifying the splicing of SMN2 and to allow a better production of SMN protein from, from SMN2. So, which is interesting is that we have now three treatments that are approved mm. by FDA, EMA, and that are also available in Australia, as long as I know. Yep. Yeah. And you can either work on SMN2 and produce more protein mm. um, from um, SMN2 by um, uh, interacting with the splicing of, of a, the RNA of, of, of SMN2. But you could also bring a new gene um, of SMN um, by, by gene therapy. So we have now three therapies that are available for spinal muscular atrophy, which is quite amazing for such a rare condition. Yeah. yeah. And wow. you say it's a rare condition. So what kind of incidents are we talking about for SMA? Well, actually, I used to say it's rare, but not that rare, mm. because it's a one. It's about one out of 10,000. Mm. What does it mean? Mm. Um, uh, how, many, how many newborns do you have per year in Australia? 
Ooh, Do you have any ideas? You're testing me here. Uh, yeah. No, I don't Could actually I, know. I can you. you can check Google it now. Yeah. <laughs> Shall I do live, yeah. a live Google? Um, Why not? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your bumper, yeah. Um, so let's imagine that, well, you have actually um, 309,000 newborn per year in Australia in 2021, right? Um, which means um, one, which means 30 or 31 new cases mm. of SMA in Australia per oh, year. Wow. Mm. Um, so it means about um, th- nearly three kids per, per month, mm. one kid every 10 days mm. um, in Australia. Uh, let's say one kid every 11 days. Yeah. So every 11 days, there is a, a child born in Australia with spinal muscular atrophy. Mm. That doesn't feel very rare, does it sometimes? No. Yeah. No. Given what kind of condition that it is. I was mm. really interested when you said then about, um, you know, even if a child has type three and they can walk, they're not going to be able to maintain that for life. It is something, it is a neurodegenerative condition. Mm. Is it, you mentioned 12 years of age there. Is that a common age where walking tends to sort of drop off or is it quite variable in terms of skill attainment and retainment, I guess? It is variable. It depends when the child will start the symptoms. And, and okay. as usual, the earlier the child starts the symptoms, the, the more severe will be the condition. Yeah, okay. But the most frequent is that these kids lose ambulation during puberty because puberty during puberty they start growing mm. um, and, and uh, growth is always the enemy of, of, yeah. of patients with neuromuscular disorders. Yeah. So we have, unfortunately, as child neurologists, many patients will get much worse during during the um, the puberty. So mm. not all patients will lose ambulation around the age of 12, mm-hmm. but all of them will, will start the symptoms before the age of four mm. will. Yeah, okay. um, and some patients could maintain ambulation, um, but which is important to understand because it will have deep implication for, for the discussion about treatments, yeah. is that um, there is no mild spinal muscular atrophy. Mm. If you tell um, a six years old, well, you know, um, you're going to have more and more difficulties in walking, running, and climbing mm. stairs, and eventually you will lose ambulation. Yeah. This is terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's just because we used to benchmark with a disease that kills the baby in five months yeah. that we say that it's milder. Yeah. But I don't call it a mild no, disease. Yeah, no. no, the impact certainly isn't. Um, mm. And we talked a little bit about current treatments, and I'm really interested to hear more about the treatments that are available. But I suppose the step before that, how do we how do we diagnose SMA at the moment? Well, there are different ways of, of diagnosing SMA. Mm. The, the classical way um, is to wait that the patients have symptoms. Mm. Um, and then as, as I explain you with the, the story of my baby with SMA type 1, it can take a little bit of time because it's quite a rare condition, mm. right? So most of first-line um, healthcare practitioners have never seen an yeah. SMA patient, right? So mm. they, they, they will probably not think about it immediately. So um, there is what we call a diagnostic odyssey, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a, a more chronic form that starts even more slowly um, and that can be, you know, that can mimic other conditions yeah. that are more common, like orthopedic conditions, mm-hmm. or sometimes the child is, is sometimes people even believe into, um, in a psychiatric condition. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it can take years sometimes for, for SMA type 3, for instance. Wow. So the, the median diagnostic time um, is about three months when it comes to SMA type 1, but three months between the moment when mom says there is something going wrong here mm. and the final diagnosis. So you can imagine what means three months yeah. when your baby is is um, worse and worse by day. Oh and in SMA type 3, we're talking about several years. Mm. So it's several years of investigation, of, you know, back and forth in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and you can imagine the, the anxiety and difficulties for families um, yeah. that are waiting um, a diagnostic for, for several uh, years. So that's the, let's say, the classical form. And then for, for the last five years, there is a new way of doing, which is, 
newborn screening, mm-hmm. which means that all newborns um, at, uh, have a test um, for the last 50 years mm-hmm. to screen for metabolic disorders like phenylketonuria, and this is true mm-hmm. in nearly every um, country of the world. Uh, but on top of the classical uh, diseases that we are um, uh, trying to identify with newborn screening, we can add um, quite easily spinal muscular atrophy because it's a, all patients have the same mutations, sure, right? Yeah. They all have the same the same mm. um, uh, deletion in exon seven, and we could potentially, and we do it now, identified by a simple PCR. Wow. Unfortunately, we still missing we still missing the uh, the patient with a. Uh, point mutation, so this 4% of patients, we're still missing them. So mm-hmm. today we still identify these patients when they start having symptoms. And it's even more difficult because, as you might imagine, we are less and less used now um, to recognize this disease uh, when it happens mm-hmm. because um, there are less and less cases that are identified identified per Per symptoms, mm. um, so it wow. it is more and more challenging yeah, to course. recognize these kids. I can understand kids. that because mm. yeah, if you are doing screening early on and starting treatments, you're now not seeing the progression, yeah. and so you, you're not you know, maybe not won't be looking out for it necessarily, mm. which is really interesting. With the the screening, can I just ask which countries or who's doing the newborn screening at the moment? So it's not all countries. Mm. Um, uh, actually, the un- in the United States, um, nearly 100% of patients are screened mm. nowadays. In Europe, it's about 50%. Um, and you still, there are still large countries in Europe in which you don't have um, um, national screening. Mm, okay. um, best example being, of course, um, uh, the UK, right. but also France. Um, you don't have a, a national newborn screening. But um, very interestingly, the, the 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 most recent country in Europe um, that um, initiated newborn screening. Do you know which country is it? No, no. that be. Feels like it's a trick question. Ice breaking question. <laughs> but it's the last country in Europe that started newborn screening for ice. I mean, it's Ukraine. It's Ukraine. Oh. So um, Ukrainian Ukrainian wanted um, to start before the war. Oh. The, the um, uh, newborn screening for SMA because wow. they had identified as, as a perfect target. Um, they could not because of the war, mm. obviously, but as long as they could um, kick out the Russians of the Kiev regions, mm. um, you know, back in, I think, in July uh, uh, 2021, um, they, they, they could start newborn screening in, in two regions, Kiev and Lviv, uh-huh. um, at the west side. And they've identified so far 11 patients. Oh, so that's a, gosh, a that's very beautiful yep. story of resilience. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, um, the, the ladies in charge have been, have been trained in my team. So we were incredibly lucky to meet them. Wow. Um, I've never seen such brave persons wow. um, with so um, uh, a dedication mm. for, for, for the patients mm. in such a difficult um, period of, of time. Yeah. So yes, Ukraine is, is one of the very last countries to have started um, newborn screening. And in Australia, uh, there is a newborn screening that is um, currently ongoing, but not in all regions, I think. Okay. Um, you, you need to check. Okay. Um, and, and the difficulties in Australia is that um, some patients cannot be treated according to the number of copies. And I was discussing with an Australian colleague, I, I don't remember where she's based, but she told me that in her region, um, kids with three copies um, of SMN2 mm. currently do not have the reimbursement of therapies when they are identified at birth, which is a little bit weird. And, and this is yeah. what we could discuss about the, the paper mm. that, that you have selected is that actually they are probably the, uh, the best candidate yeah. to be treated. And yeah. um, if you think purely from a, a utilitary perspective and uh, how to get the best efficacy of a drug and the best value for money because Mm -hmm. um, these treatments cost a lot of money. Probably patients identified at birth with three copies of SMN2 could be the best candidate to be be treated. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's still heterogeneous, um, but it's increasing by by weeks, the number of countries. And we have projected that that, um, in, in five years, 
probably um, more than 50% of, of kids around the world uh, where the treatments are available could be screened mm. for spinal muscular atrophy. That's amazing. Yeah, such an opportunity, Gosh. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, Laurent, let's talk about what those treatments are. Mm. So there's um, three, or since 2017, there's three drugs that have been approved for use to treat SMA. Can you talk to us about what they are and what they do? For sure. So the first drug that was approved is an oligodendrous nucleotide. Um, it's like um, RNA, but it's much more robust than, than RNA. Okay. It's not immediately destroyed by the RNAs, mm-hmm. um, and so it can um, interfere um, with the splicing of of SMN two. Wow. Um, but you have to inject it intrathecally. So and uh, mm-hmm. it's like you know uh, uh, during a peridural anesthesia, and and you have to to make four doses at mm-hmm. day one, day 15, day 30, day 60, mm-hmm. and then every four months mm-hmm. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, it has been demonstrated to be extremely safe. It's a very safe drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are two pivotal trials uh, that, that have shown um, uh, the efficacy. Um, the second drug is a neural medication. It's, uh, you can take it hourly, okay. every day. Okay. It also interacts with the splicing of, of SMN2. It's a small molecule. Mm. Um, and it has also been demonstrated to be very efficient in all types um, of SMA. Mm. And it's also very, very safe. Okay. And the third drug is gene therapy. So gene therapy is actually a, a vector, like a, a, a virus, mm. a capsid. In which you, from which you remove the um, uh, DNA of the of the of the virus, and you place a promoter which is motoneuron specific and and, and the gene that is missing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is infused like a one shot therapy because after this infusion you will get antibodies mm-hmm. again against the virus. Right. Um, of course, the, the your body is not super happy to see this amount of virus coming um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So you need to temper the immune reaction using steroids. Mm-hmm. And it has been also demonstrated to be very efficient. We now use this type of therapy in kids who are younger than two years old. Okay. Um, and and with a weight that is below 23 kilos. Oh, okay. um, but they are, you know, more and more um, experienced to try to, you know, go in a broader population using, for instance, mm intrathecal injection of, of this therapy. Um, uh. The gene therapy is also quite safe, but um, we, we, we can have some um, uh, serious adverse reaction, mm, right. including uh, liver toxicity or, or uh, severe immune reaction. Mm. So oh. it is certainly a drug for which we need to think carefully about the benefit and the risk right. um, then um, with a little bit more risk than with the two other ones. Mm. Um, all these drugs have um, common points, um, let's say at least three. One, they, 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 the effect is impressive. Mm. Um, there is no doubt about the effect. But especially when it's given early, mm. and in all trials and all studies have demonstrated that the earlier you give the drugs, the better it is. Right. It's quite easy to understand. The disease is related to the death of motor neurons. Motor neurons is a cell that will not replicate. Yeah, so right. when a motor neuron is dead, yep. it's forever. Um, so you, you you have no drugs that will make new motor neurons sure, appear. Right. It means that, that, that if we want to keep a maximum number of motor neurons in these kids, we have to treat as soon as possible because, again, um, when it's too late, when, when yeah. the motor neurons are dead, yeah. um, it, you, you will not make new motor neurons yeah. appear. So um, a third common point um, between, between these drugs is, is um, obviously the cost, mm. which is huge. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know the, the cost in Australia, but um, the cost we're talking about in, in, um, in the US, for instance, is one shot of, of nusinosin, so this drug that you inject intrathecally, mm-hmm. is about $100,000, oh, wow. right? Yeah. Um, and you have to give it every four months. <laughs> Let alone, of course, the cost of the of the hospitalization yeah. because yeah. you have to, to bring these kids oh in goodness. the hospital. Yeah, um, and the gene therapy, we talk about two millions, right? Wow. Um, so the the 
the cost of these drugs is is enormous. Mm. Um, we need to to appreciate and to understand again that this is a rare condition. Mm. So the cost of the drug can be huge, yeah. but the impact on the budget is low. Yeah. Um, because if you consider, for instance, a more, much more common condition, mm. I don't know, like diabetes mellitus or mm-hmm. high blood pressure, yeah. and you increase the cost of the drugs, the impact on the budget will be much more important when it comes to a, a very severe but rare condition. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's a really good point. And and what about the oral medication, just out of interest? Like, is there a discrepancy between how much that is relative to the the ones that are administered intrathecally? You mean in terms of cost? Yeah. Or in, well, in terms of cost, it doesn't change anything. It's um, one year of treatment is about three hundred thousand um, wow. dollars mm, yeah. um, in the US. But we we need to appreciate that the the cost of medication has never it's not related to the cost of the production or the cost of the development. The cost of no, the drugs yeah. is most mostly a negotiation between the pharma companies and, and the state or the payers. Mm, and yeah, it's based right. on the benefit um, uh, the benefit of, of the drug. And there are other yeah. mechanisms and other things to consider, like, yeah. for instance, the budget impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, yeah, how we decide, how the price of a drug is decided is a, is a complex um, story, mm-hmm. which is different from one to another country, yeah. by the way. Okay. Um, and... and uh, so no, the cost is is not different. No. So um, treating a patient with SMA with these new drugs costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But um, there is something else to consider here: is that uh, even if you don't treat these patients with these innovative um, therapies, SMA itself costs a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Because let's imagine um, a patient with SMA type two, mm. uh, who is a patient who is going to to sit but will never walk mm. um, and will be uh, wheelchair bound for mm. his entire life. Mm. Every four years or five years you will have to change the wheelchair. Right. Many yeah. of these patients have a non-invasive ventilation, they have physiotherapy yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, several times per week. So the cost of the disease itself is huge and is. If, even if you um, forget about expensive medication, a patient with type 2 um, will cost about five to seven millions mm. of dollars during his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, 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 the cost of the drug is, is certainly important, but the cost of the disease mm. is even more. Yeah, it's very um, complex in terms the of how it's managed. Is, mm. It's very complex. Mm. And the patient, the, the, the less expensive patient, if I might say, are patients with type 1. Because right. in the absence of treatment, unfortunately, mm. they will die. Yeah. So it means that the cost will be huge during one year, but yeah. then it's over. Mm. So um, it's a very complex system when you try to figure out what is the impact of these drugs on the on the cost for the for the system. Mm. Because on one hand, um, you you can avoid all the costs that are related to disability, yeah. to wheelchair use to um, ventilation, mm. but on the other hand, you keep alive, kids will uh, remain with very high costs during their entire life mm. rather than being concentrated during one, one year. Yeah. So it's a, it's a difficult yeah. equation. Definitely. Yeah. And I feel that that leads us <laughs> quite nicely into the aims of yeah. the, the paper that we um, are covering today. So Laurent, in a nutshell, could you tell us what the aim of this paper was? Well, the aim of this paper is to estimate how much does it cost to treat a patient mm. with spinal muscular atrophy mm. and how much money we can save in three scenarios. Scenario number one, when we have no treatments available. Mm. Scenario number two, when we wait for the patients to present the symptoms, mm. we identify these patients and then um, we treat them. And scenario number three, in which we have a newborn screening. Mm. So we have identify the different costs, but also the benefit. What do we gain in terms of years of life and quality of life? So we have investigated the benefit and the cost of these three scenarios. Gosh, it's very complex. And, I, and I was, as I was reading through it in terms of how you did the calculations, it's it was 
it was wonderful because when you talked about the cost of illness, you sort of went through it in brief there as well. Mm. It's not just the cost of the drug, like he said, it is time off work. It's the ability for parents to continue to work. And then you put alongside that um, going to appointments, home care versus their quality of life. And Mm. And I like how in the paper you really just... By presenting all those different options, it makes everyone think really deeply about what we need to consider because, yes, the cost, like you said, of those drugs is very high. Mm. But when you consider all of these other factors about quality of life and all the other aspects, the benefits, yeah, yeah, it really was a very compelling compelling question to be able to ask. Um, I do have a quick question on that one in in terms of who you included for this because – to do this kind of study, would have you would have had to include quite a few patients um, on on databases, I suppose. Is that how it was done? Yes. So you have two types of approach in, in such study. The mm-hmm. first one is to have a very broad approach and to go, for instance, um, in the US on insurance claim um, mm-hmm. for um, several um, codes. Yeah. Um, the the way we did in Belgium, which is a very, very small countries with only 60,000 newborns per year mm. um, when it comes to, to southern Belgium where, where the, uh, the diagnostic, uh, where the newborn screening was in, in place, was, much, was to try to have a very precise evaluation of the cost even if the number of patients was limited. So yeah. we, we considered all the patients that we personally knew um, and the beauty is that our centre is the only one for um, uh, the, the, the regions of what we call Wallonia mm-hmm. um, in, in southern Belgium. So we have quite um, a, a good um, vision about, about this, these patients. Mm-hmm. And we started to count the costs that are, as you very nicely explained, the costs that are related to the drugs and to the, and to the doctors and to the physiotherapists, mm-hmm. but also the costs that are what we call in, indirect costs. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um, if you have a patient, a baby, a child in a wheelchair, um, you have to change your house or you have to move house yeah. because um, you, you, you cannot bring this patient um, in the stairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it means that you need either to have a lift, either to, to make a room on the, on the ground floor. Yeah. And the same applies for the, for the uh, bathroom. Yeah. And the same applies for the loo. Mm-hmm. And then the same will apply for the car. Mm-hmm. You cannot go with the, um, uh, the car you want. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, this comes with a cost, and then, as you might imagine, if you work full time, if you, if if um, your partner also works full time, and you have a, a, a kid um, in the which uh, uh, with a lot of um, medical appointment and with ventilation at night, it's just impossible both of you to work yeah. um, both yeah. time. So, right. which means that from a societal perspective you are losing um, a man or woman, most of the time, woman mm, power. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it, it means that it translates, it comes with a cost for, for the yeah, society. Yeah. So it's uh, important for everything. And, and this is Im- impossible to find in, in databases, yeah, right? Because right. in databases, no, no, nobody will write down, um, okay, mom adds to... Um, stop working full time mm. and now works like mm. one day per week. Um, so it's not in insurance um, uh, databases. So yeah. uh, the weak point of this study is that it's not very large numbers. Mm. Um, but um, the the good point is that it's a very detailed yes, yeah. um, and definitely um, um, adapted um, to to count every single cent yeah. um, for, for this patient. Yeah, yeah. you can see that. Yeah, it's very rich data <laughs> that is. certainly yeah. comes across. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So let's talk about some of the key findings from the study then, Laurent. What what did you find? What were your key kind of take-home messages? Well, the, 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 the key um, home messages is that, yes, these drugs are very expensive, mm. um, but... The screening um, doesn't cost so much. Mm-hmm. The screening cost. Um, so in southern Belgium, we pay five euros uh, per baby, mm. right? Now mm. uh, it's five euros per baby. Mm. So it means that for Australia, it would cost something like one million five hundred euros. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Know, I, I let you translate into Australian dollars. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> um, we'll have to check the see, <laughs> see, <laughs> exchange rate. Yeah, the, 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 the exchange rate. Um, so 
that that's the the the, the cost of the screen. Yeah, okay. But the the money that you save um, with screening is huge yeah. because um, if you wait these patients to um, be sick and then to identify them, mm. you will have to pay twice. You will mm. have to pay one. Well, actually, much much more than twice. Yeah. You will have to pay for the treatment, mm. but you will have to pay for the wheelchair. You will have to pay for the non-invasive ventilation. Right. You will have to pay for the house. You will have to pay for the car. You will have to pay for the for mom who cannot mm. work full time. Mm. And I'm not even speaking about quality of life. Yeah, but yeah. if you screen, the beauty is that you will have to pay once um, for the treatment. And that's it. And the and the costs that are on top of that for the patients who are identified by newborn screening are very low. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you put together um, the the cost of the screening and the cost at the additional cost of these patients, and on the other part of the balance, um, all the additional costs in patients identified after symptoms, you understand very quickly that there is a massive saving yeah. for the society mm. uh, to screen. Yeah. And so the, the PhD student um, who did a PhD about um, in this research, Tamara, at the end of her talk, she used to say, okay, that's the difference between a patient identified per symptoms that's the, and, and a patient identified by newborn screening and she shows videos. Mm. And on one side, you see a patient running, mm. um, cycling um, and on the other one you see a child in the wheelchair this is the difference yeah. but newborn screening if you don't do it for children if you don't care of having um, children running and cycling rather than being in the wheelchair mm. at least do it for money yeah. um, because <laughs> yeah, that's from, not compelling if, enough um, yeah if, if, <laughs> yeah if, if you don't care of children please do it at least for money yeah. because it's the best investment that you can do yeah. so let's be clear these drugs are expensive but if you are super expensive but the worst way to use it is to pay twice yeah. um, for the disease and for and, and for the drug right. yeah. if you really want to get the best use of these drugs you have to give it the the best window of opportunity so when this before these patients become mm. sick so using newborn screening mm. Can I ask on that then? What I'm very curious about is now with these drugs that are here. So we're talking about the fact that these children can move. They are, you know, the trajectory is different. Mm. What does that mean? What does that mean for what we see now then? So the children who have had the screening, now they've had the drugs. What could we expect to see? And what sort of, for physiotherapists like me who now see them in clinic, you know, Mm. are there any restrictions on what we can do? You know, do we just go forth and try to get them to move as much as they can or are there precautions around that? Great question. Yeah. So I think it it, things are always a little bit more complex. Mm. So we have uh, the patients with four copies and these patients are entirely normal. So I, I used to tell my the, the parents, okay, let's just look at your child as a normal child, do whatever you want, um, and, and let's just have a, an appointment twice per year to check that we are on the, on the right track. Mm-hmm. And at the other um, end of the spectrum, um, some of these patients, when we identify them by newborn screening, they are already symptomatic, right, they already right. present symptoms. So we call them, we meet them immediately. But when we, when, when, when we meet them, they have already symptoms. Mm. These patients will for sure nevertheless need um, some care uh-huh. and some physiotherapy uh-huh. that we have, of course, considered in our, in our cost analysis. Yes. Um, but yes, these patients will, will need. Um, and then if you ask me what's going to happen in 20 years, yeah. and I answer your question, um, I, I'm a liar, right? Because um, nobody knows. Yeah. Uh, we are learning. Yeah. We are learning every day yeah. um, by looking at our patients, mm. talking with our patients. Mm. We're learning every day mm-hmm. about how these patients um, are doing and what they're becoming um, with years. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. And are there things that we need to consider, like in our in our treatments, considering that obviously you know, with muscle, we don't want it to be overly fatigued or, you know, can we be guided by their heart rate? You know, are there any limitations on what we can do to increase their fitness and endurance? You know, those sort of things. Well, um, 
maybe I, I'm going to give you a, a disappointing answer from a physiotherapy person. <laughs> but, um, uh, oh no, oh no. <laughs> That's why I asked the question. <laughs> Let her down gently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I used to tell my, my families, well, um, if we have the choice between going to the physiotherapist or going to the swimming pool, go to the swimming pool. Mm. If you have the choice between going to the occupational therapist or to go cycling, mm. go cycling. Mm. Um, so the the reason is that um, going to swimming pool is an activity that um, every child um, uh, can do. So if, mm. if you, as a child with SMA or identified by newborn screening, you go to the swimming pool, you can go with your friends, you can socialize, you identify yourself as a normal child going to a normal activity. Mm. Um if you go to, um, if you spend the time and the energy um, to go to the uh, physiotherapist, you will get the benefit from the physiotherapist. But you, this is not a place where you will socialize I with um, yeah. uh, um, uh, other kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that we need to 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 put um, both uh, aspects in the balance. If you go to the swimming pool, you will go with mom or dad yeah. or dad. Um, you will uh, have the, the opportunity to bind um, as a family. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes from a, it's also good for mom or dad mm. to go to swimming pool. Yeah. Um, so, um, and the, the, the type of movements that we recommend are movements that are isotonic and not isometric. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Yeah. If I swim, I, I move, right? Yeah. Um, and if I cycle, um, I move. Um, if I um, practice judo, uh, I will keep my muscle very hard, mm. but it's not going to be um, there, there is not going there is going to be less movement that if if I swim, mm. right? Um, so um, we we advise this type of of, of movement okay. for our patients, and indeed it works on endurance. So I, I used to 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 propose them to have a normal activities, yeah. let's say, yeah. and activities that develop. Isometric, isotonic movement, yeah. um, regular. Yeah. Um, and I much prefer. I, I prefer if they have activities every day yeah. rather than to have um, a, a lot of activities during two hours sure. every week. Yeah. So regular yeah. and isometric, isotonic. Yeah. No, you haven't let me down at all. No. I feel like that was. Um, it's it's the way we would think. Very consistent. You know, it with, is very consistent. Yeah. 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 And I and I think that you know, there's been such a move away from the traditional way of thinking of kind of going. All right. Well, you know, to to help with this, we're going to try to fix this, and we're going to go to therapy to do this. Mm. But, you know, the whole perspective now is is participation and our role yeah. can be to advise that and support that. And yeah. you find the sports are great. Be with friends and family, you know, having fun, going to school. And yeah. I think those are important. But I love your advice about, you know, the isometric movements and, us, you know, encouraging movement across the 24 hours yeah. rather than just, you know, one burst of exercise. I think yeah. that's really good advice. Yeah. So and no, I'm still feeling hopeful. Yeah. It's good. And I was going to say, you know, if a family, <laughs> if a family come to a, a physiotherapist mm. or an occupational therapist because they feel like they need that yeah. extra bit of support around them, then they can feel comfortable to take an approach that mm. you know leads them down the path of participation. That's and, right. Yeah. Lifestyle. Yeah. 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 I like and that. Coming together as a family. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I loved it. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. So, Laurent, where to from here? What you know, this is really incredible and exciting work, and I think mm. you know a lot of people will read this paper and have lots of questions for you about what the next steps are. So, <laughs> what are the next steps for you and all this work? Well, um, the next step is to do one hundred twenty-six times better. Um, <laughs> So what what we've learned from SMA is that um, to treat these um, terrible conditions, we have a window of opportunity. Mm. Um, and um, we may have the most efficient drug in the world if we don't give it the right time yep. and the right patient. Yep. It's just a waste of time, waste of energy, waste of hope and waste of money. Yep. So we were very lucky for SMA to have siblings because um, the efficacy of of uh, presymptomatic treatment could be demonstrated first in siblings, mm-hmm. um, but in many diseases for which we have now very exciting research, like Angelman, Red, um, we have no siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only we won't be, we will not be able to to 
conduct pre-symptomatic trials um, and to accelerate um, uh, the, the clinical development. Um, but we will not identify patients uh, before symptoms. So the next step is to change our mind about newborn screening and to have a much more flexible approach yeah. of newborn screening. Yeah. And when I was saying 124 times better, is that what we did in southern Belgium was to browse all diseases in, in pediatrics, all fields of pediatrics, so not only um, uh, neuromuscular or neurological conditions, but also of talimo, uh, liver, kidney, mm. uh, and to spot all diseases that are severe, that start early, and that are treatable. Yeah. So severe, um, start early and being treatable. And do you, do you know how many conditions we found? Well, we found 124 conditions related to 359 genes. Wow. So we kick off a, a, a pilot to screen at birth every newborn mm -hmm. of, of my hometown in Liège um, using genomic sequencing uh, for all these conditions that are severe, that are early onset, and that are treatable, mm -hmm. for which we have a treatment. So... Um, it's w doing quite well. Yeah. It's moving um, the right direction. We have already screened about 2,000 newborns. Wow. Um, we're very excited and, and um, from a, a, a community perspective, we have 91% of approvals So 91% of, of parents are happy to, to sign in for such program. Mm. Um, and... Um, I think that's the, definitely the next step yeah. is yeah. to be able to transition much earlier on mm. to pre-symptomatic condition, yeah. to kids um, who can get the maximal benefit of drug mm -hmm. um, and um, to be able to accelerate clinical development by getting access to a pre-symptomatic population yeah. when yeah. we have something that works. Yeah. Yeah. That's the next step. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty powerful impactful work i it think it really is yeah. isn't it when yeah. you consider you know there's a there's a future parent out there that won't know mm. that they might stumble across this as part of their life mm. and to hopefully be in a country that has newborn screening that would just literally change their life yeah. you know and change the course of their life it, it's significant yeah. so um, yeah, that was very inspiring. Thank you so much. I told you all you would love this talk. It was amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Next time you see Lauren doing any more presentations, um, make sure you go and, and watch as well. Yeah. He's got some great videos. Obviously, this is a podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> he can't show videos on the podcast, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's really worth looking at because um, we need to keep an eye out on this work. So Definitely. thank you so much for your time today. It was brilliant. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you, Laurent. Yeah, we appreciate you getting up early, sharing, <laughs> you know, the wealth of knowledge you have on this topic and, and guiding mm. us through it. Yeah, really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. It is a pleasure. Oh, thank Definitely. you. Thank you. Well, to all of our listeners, we hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, remember, you can head to our website, researchworks.net. We'll have links to the paper and, of course, to Laurent as well if you want to look at other pieces of work that he mm -hmm. has done. And there's a CPD form there that you can fill out as well if you want to keep this as part of a record of your PD requirements. Yeah. But for now, that's it. Until next Stay time. Until next time. <laughs> thank you very much and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all again thank soon. You. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>